Hi, and welcome back to the Mindful Sport Performance Podcast. I'm Dr. Keith Kaufman. I'm Dr. Tim Pinot. And we are very excited to be joined today by Rachel Adams. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, sure. Uh, Rachel Adams is a 2016 Olympic medalist and a 2014 world champion. She joined the U.S. Women's National Team in 2012 after graduating and playing four years of volleyball at the University of Texas in Austin and was a member for 10 years. During the off-season of the U.S. Women's National Team, she played professional volleyball in different countries around the world between 2012 and 2022. She lived and played in Poland for two seasons, Italy for three seasons, Turkey for three seasons, and Brazil for one season. And now she just moved to Japan, right? So that's an exciting addition <laughs> to your bio. Um, she now uses all of this uh, experience and the ups and downs along her journey to be a mindset and confidence mentor to female athletes and to help them own their confidence through the power of mindset and self-discovery. She's the founder of Journey Strength, where it's believed that a well-equipped mindset and a strong sense of self are some of the most important things an athlete can have to navigate the daily challenges they're asked to face. And it's her mission and passion to help female athletes develop and realize this. Um, so obviously an impressive bio, interesting person to speak with today in terms of being an athlete herself, um, as well as a mentor and, and doing some of the, the mental training work uh, that, that um, obviously is a focus of our podcast. So we're, we're really excited to have you, Rachel. And um, you were gracious enough to say you would begin just by leading us in a very short practice just to get yeah. us in the headspace for today. Yes. And a little fun fact, I just realized that I'm leading it and you guys aren't leading it, <laughs> but I'm going to lean into the moment and lean into, you know, leaning outside of my comfort zone and saying yes. So this is something that I would use before games or when I feel like my nervous system is dysregulated, I'm feeling a little anxious, or just need to take a pause throughout the day. So it's just a simple four seconds in to hold your breath. And at the top, you hold it for five seconds, and then you do a slow release for six seconds. And so wherever you are, I hope you're not driving, but just take a moment to pause and be present with us. So uh, take a deep breath in for four seconds. One, two, three, four. Hold at the top. One, two, three, four, five. And slow breath. One, two, three, four, five, six. And let's get one more in. So another big deep breath. One, two, three, four, hold it at the top. One, two, three, four, five, and release for six. One, two, three, four, five, six. And let's open our eyes and just come back to this moment. I hope it just allowed you to like fill your breath, have the biggest breaths of today. And sometimes we don't have a deep breath and just like it reminds me to take a big deep breath if I've been kind of breathing like shallow throughout the day and like moving fast. Mm. Yeah. We were thinking you were going to lead. You were thinking we were going to lead and you leaned right into the moment. And, and that was great. Thank you for sharing that practice with us. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. That's what it's all about. 
and it's just like such a great point i feel like I, I feel like i notice that in myself all the time or i'm including that kind of language when i'm leading a breathing exercise something like that about like like the, that idea of like deepest breath of the day i feel like oh i'm like taking half breaths all the time when i'm not paying attention it's like oh oh wait a second i can really feel good like all right yeah <laughs> yeah i mean I, i'm always struck too in an exercise like this like how simple it is and how short a time it takes but how different you can feel afterward um so it's cool to hear you said this would be the kind of thing you might use like before a game um and yeah, I mean, it, it, I can just see, or, or I don't know if you even have any examples you can share, not to put you on the spot, of, yeah. of where you were able to use something like this just to kind of center yourself. You've been in some pretty competitive moments, it, it, it seems mm-hmm. like, and, and how something like this might benefit you. Yeah, so I first remember using this in, I would say either it was 2015 or 2016, um, you know, obviously I'm a volleyball athlete and we have our hitting warm up. We warm up with partners. And then there's this, um, moment of just kind of like waiting for things to happen before we introduce players. So everything happens. They're about to announce our names or we like go down the line and say high fives to our teammates and to the coaches and we enter the court. And then once you're on the court, you huddle up and you start playing volleyball. And so, while we're in the line waiting, you know, maybe the other team's getting announced, I would lean over my all, like my feet would be grounded on the ground. I put my, both my palms on the ground and I would take four deep breaths and they'd be like four seconds in hold for four seconds and then four seconds out. And I would do that four times and like, okay, say something happened a little bit fast. I, I wouldn't be like superstitious about it. If I could only get like one round in it was just so I could like ground myself and just like ground myself in the moment before the game because I know like warm-ups can be a little crazy a little like frantic your mind can be everywhere and I just like want to bring myself back to like okay I'm here we're good and just like take those deep breaths because I know it's so calming yeah well and I and I love the um the weaving in of acceptance even into the practice itself because i feel like that idea of a pre-performance routine i mean it really can help athletes right help 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 you get centered help you calm your body if you're feeling overactivated and of course you can come to really rely on it in right in almost a superstitious way and then suddenly mm-hmm. it creates more problems if something goes a little sideways it goes a little different or you know it's like no I've, I've got this thing that i know helps calm me down but really what's so helpful about it is because it it brings in a more open kind of like mindset of like, hey, I just have to be here now with whatever's here. Um, yeah. And if it means it's a little bit different than I expected, which is so hard, especially I'm thinking on a big stage. I mean, like a national championship, the Olympics, like you mm-hmm. really want to feel in control in those moments and it's hard to grapple with our lack of control. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And I kind of learned that obviously, not obviously you guys don't know this, maybe you do, but um, are you, you're leading up to Olympics. Our sports psych was Mike Gervais. Uh, mm-hmm. He works, I'm not, I think he works with the Seahawks still. I'm not sure. Maybe, but he worked with the Seahawks previously. Yeah. Maybe he yeah. still does. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where my world to mindset had opened up and breathing and something as simple as the breath. I'm like, breathing? Like, we're going to talk about breathing? Like, we breathe all the time. Like, why are we having a conversation about breathing and like breathe during the game? And that's where my mind was like. So, yeah. So Michael Gervais, obviously, is this big name in sports, mm-hmm. science, particularly with the, you know, from the mindfulness perspective 
Um, but what you just what you just spoke to, just that initial resistance. I feel like we we hit that all the time, you know, with athletes. Mm-hmm. Wait a second. Like if I want to get stronger, I can lift weights. If I want to get faster, I'm gonna go run. Like those things make sense to me. Why am I sitting here breathing? I, mm-hmm. I wonder if you could say a little bit more about your initial resistance about that. Like what what is this? And how, whether it was something that that Michael Gervais was able to kind of like explain or when just your own kind of experience and giving it a try, but what helped you shift out of that resistance? Yeah, I mean, there was definitely points where he was sharing information and it took me a while to, you know, apply it to what I was doing. You know, he would talk about visualization for a long time and I didn't really do it until I saw like a more veteran um, teammate of mine who was my roommate doing it. I'm like, huh, you know what? I'm going to try that out too. And like, I visualized the game and my blocking and like, and then in the game, it was like going that way. I was like, Ooh, this is weird. Like <laughs> I'm going to keep doing this. And then like before every game I start, I would like put in white noise and like visualize. And after that, I was like, okay, I get it. And it's definitely a process, you know, like we can tell athletes and, you know, like I'm sharing that I was even told these things, but it takes like a journey, you know, like even when people talk about meditation, meditation, it's such a hot word, but until you actually sit with it and it pops up for you at a natural time that like really invites you to be like, okay, all right, let me just give this a try. And it's going to hit you at the right time. Like people can say a million things, but back to what you asked about just the breath and like kind of how, you know, I approached when you first talked about it, of course, I was like, what are we talking about breathing for? Like, okay, yes, we breathe. Like how, why are we talking about this? But he explained it in a way that it allows us to regulate ourselves. You know, when we start to get anxious, our breathing gets more shallow and, you know, it cuts off oxygen to our brain um and so that really hit me I was like yeah yeah that's true like when I start to get anxious I you know probably am not breathing deeper and so I don't know like what moment I started to like kind of apply it but he also like had us add it into like our serving routine like before we serve take a deep breath and like you'll see athletes even when I watch volleyball now on the USA women's national team their serving routine has a big deep breath in it and it's so calming because it's like just you on the line it's not like your teammate made you mess up or you messed up but it's like just a very you skill and so it allows you just to be grounded take a deep breath and then like approach it and so the breath is just so grounding in so many ways and once you have that like awareness or that awareness that you're starting to to get anxious And then you add in the awareness of like how the breath can help you. I think it's so powerful for an athlete to be able to lean on that and to be able to, you know, make a mistake, take a deep breath and like come back to the present moment. It's just being able to bring yourself back to the now. Yeah. I think one of the interesting battles, which is, which is related to what you're, you're talking about like you mentioned meditation in there and, and the breath. And I think these are, these are ideas that have become so popularized and seen so much as just like a tool, but almost one, I don't know. I don't know if this is the best way to describe it, Tim, maybe you can help me flesh this out, but it's almost like, like it's used in a lightweight kind of way. Like, Oh yeah. Take a breath. Right. Like almost like we just say it in this flippant way. 
And, and yet really what we're talking about is, is it, it affects everything, right? I mean, if you actually peel it back and you look at what's happening in your body and your mind, I mean, it almost raises it like, why wouldn't you do it? It's such a logical mm-hmm. part of a pre-performance routine. And, and it is so unbelievably powerful. Like there's, I just read a book recently. I'm kicking myself for not remembering the author. So I apologize. Maybe we can put it in the show notes, but there's a book called Breathing for Warriors or Breathe Like a Warrior, which, mm-hmm. which is this whole book, I think really intended for athletes. Like, look, you know, if you learn how to breathe, you learn how to manage your breath. Like it basically lets you play like a warrior, right? Like really leaning into this, this power and, and the depth of, of that kind of, of strategy. And I, I think you're right. I, I guess where I'm going with this is you kind of said you had to experience it for yourself, which, which I think is how we try to square that circle in, in our MSPE work is, you know, we realize that when we initially pitch some of these ideas, they may sound a little bit hokey. They may sound a little bit like what breathing, <laughs> like, okay, how is this going to help me? But, but what we try to do is just invite people to experience because once you experience it, like you did with visualization or like you did with breathing, it seems like people can start to connect with like, oh, like this is a real thing. This is just as important as my stretches. This is just as mm-hmm. important as, you know, being on top of my technical routine and knowing how to execute my serve, like you were saying. Um, so I, I guess, you know, I don't know if you could speak to that at all, like how, I don't know, again, if it was something Michael Gervais did, or if it was part of just how you experienced it, like how this deeper thing of what this really is connected with you. Gosh, I wish I could pinpoint the moment, but it really was just, I don't know, maybe on the court, you know, he just like talks about it and kind of talks about it. And like you, like you said, like you hear meditation, you hear it in books, you hear it in magazines, but until you actually sit down and give it a try and are open to it, do you see the power of it? And, you know, something popped up in my mind when you're speaking about, you know, now we're incorporating breathing and mental aspects to the game. And it's so crazy that it's kind of like the last thing to be incorporated you know, back in the days, it was like, okay, we're athletes, we train our skills. And they're like, hey, guys, you know, if you lift weights, your muscles will get bigger. And then you have strength coaches, you know, people start to train their body, then someone came and they're like, hey, athletes, if you eat well, you know, you're gonna get even stronger and fuel your body well. And now the last thing that's kind of coming in is the mental and the mindset. And athletes are slowly you know, adding it to the game, you see LeBron during timeouts, taking deep breaths. And I saved so many images on my computer for athletes to see just like these little gif or gifs of this athlete taking big breaths during competition. And um, I do really wish I could pinpoint that moment where why I decided to breathe deep or um when I did, but I know one concept that he talked about was self-talk. And another thing I was like, why would you talk to ourselves, Mike? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Crazy people talk to themselves. You know, <laughs> I was probably like the most resistant. Like, what are we doing today? Talking about talking to ourselves. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. But I do remember that moment of applying it because he specifically asked us today at practice, just be aware of what goes on your mind after you make a mistake. Um, and I was like, okay, cool. 
I don't know what you're talking about, but I'll try it. I'll be aware. I miss a serve. God, you suck. Like, why do you keep missing your serve? You know, uh, you always miss your serve. Like, da 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 da. And I was like, oh, I guess, I guess that's self talk. You know, like once you, you kind of like are brought and asked to sit in that awareness and asked to apply it, that's when it really hit for me. Yeah. Well, just like. Sorry, Dad, just to, just to finish, because I, I think what you articulated is kind of exactly what I was getting at, that, yes, you, you are seeing now more incorporation of, oh, okay, we should do this mental training stuff, too. We should think about the mind, too. But I think one of the real battles that comes up as we do this is, like, how does it become more than just a token gesture? How does it become more than just, okay, we're checking this box, we're bringing in someone like Michael Gervais to, to talk to our athletes, okay, we're attending to the mind. And then somewhere along the way, it really stuck to the point that you incorporate this now into your, your pregame routine, or, you know, even more pointedly that you have a business that you now have formed and developed journey strength, where you work with young female, well, I don't know if they're all young, but female athletes <laughs> to, I shouldn't, I shouldn't make any presumptions um, to, to take them you know, on this, on this mental journey and, and to help them with, with their passion and, and developing their skills. And so this must've really stuck with you, you know, this must've really made an impression. And, and that's what fascinates me, you know, and, and getting to talk to athletes, how did this go from just a thing? Okay. Michael Gervais is here talking mm -hmm. to us to like, oh, wow, this is so important that I actually want to make this part of my career. Right. Yeah. So that moment is a big part of my story. Um, so obviously I said, not obviously, why do you keep saying, obviously you guys don't know a thing unless you maybe read like a story, like, obviously, you know, I well, it's good that it's obvious to you, right? It's like, well, yeah. of course this is what happened. <laughs> so this is what happened. Let me tell you. So I found volleyball in high, high school as an accident. This story is kind of out there floating on the internet. Um, but I was sitting at night at my best friend's house. She asked me in the morning when we woke up, do you want to come with me to the incoming freshman volleyball camp? Or would you like to sleep in? I called my mom. I was like, mom, you know, this is what's happening. She says, just make a decision. Let me know and I'll come pick you up. Like this was before Uber. So, you know, parents for the ride. And I was like, you know what? I'll go. I'll bring my summer reading book. I went, brought my summer reading book, asked the coaches if I could sit on the sideline. And they said, sure. I got comfy. Five minutes later, they asked me if I wanted to, you know, hop in. I said, sure. I was... I was absolutely tragic. All the other girls there had been playing club for years. They had their cool knee pads, water bottles, everything. Um, but the way that my coaches coached the game, I just was addicted. And I came back the next day and the next day. Um, and I just wanted to get better every day. And I wanted to see how good I could get. And that led me to a scholarship at Texas. And then later down the road, um, an invite into the USA Women's National Team gym. And so I got invited in 2012. Um, that was the year of the Olympics. So we didn't enter into the, until um, 2013. And uh, in 2015, the year before the 2016 Rio Olympics, a coach came up to me after a game where I was starting. And he asked me, why does it look like you don't deserve to be out there? And I hmm. thought he was crazy. I was like, what do you mean? I am fine. But it really made me look at, you know, 
why am I not taking up space or why do I actually do have moments of like, why, you know, not really owning the court and playing how I want to. And after that season, so when we play with the national team, our off seasons are overseas, like you heard in the intro. And so I went to Italy after that season and I just dove deep into mindset and self-discovery. And so I started learning things about limiting beliefs And I realized I was holding on to the belief that I didn't think I was enough or my skills weren't enough since I started volleyball so late in my career. And so from the day that I stepped on that court, when the coaches asked me, I felt like I was behind. I had to catch up and I brought that belief with me into the Texas gym. I felt like everyone was, you know, still ahead of me into the national team gym. I thought everyone was still ahead of me. And so that was just one of the things that I had to be aware of, acknowledge and release. And that was also during a time where, um, you know, Mike Gervais' words were coming up and starting to make sense. And I was connecting the dots and, you know, trying to implement things like how can I stay steady on the court and not have such big ups and downs? Because, you know, my perfectionism is, you know, um, throwing me off after I make a mistake? How can I be a steady player? How can I just show up the way I want to? So I just started diving deeper and deeper. And um, so it led me down a wild, crazy journey. And through that, I really don't think I'd be able to show up as I was in the 2016 Olympics for myself and my team if I didn't go down that path and be able to, you know, compete at the level in the way I want it to and in an inconsistent way for my team at the Olympics. Yeah. And so through that, I realized the power of just mindset. And even though I'm not actively playing a sport right now, I use everything that I learned, like the self-discovery, the mindset into my everyday life, you know, like choosing courage over fear and like knowing when fear arises and, you know, cause fear is going to arise before games and seeing it as like, I'm excited and um, I care instead of like, I'm not capable or I'm not made for this and being able to like move through it with, you know, my mind and being able to be like, okay, it just because fear is showing up doesn't mean I should turn around and I'm going to move through this, this obstacle right now, or I'm going to go in the direction of my goals. So it put me on a long journey, long story short. So that's, yeah, just, it's amazing to kind of hear you talk about these, the evolution of that experience, because I feel like I recognize so much of it in terms of, of, in parts of my own experience, and certainly a lot of the athletes that we work with. Um, And you actually, I mean, you touched on one inflection point that I kind of want to go back to, where you kind of realized that the mindset of like, I'm behind wasn't working for you, because I, I'd be willing to bet that some of our listeners, some of the athletes out there, and maybe even yourself too, like for a while thought that that was a helpful mindset of like this push, this drives me. I feel like I'm behind. So I'm going to push even harder. I'm going to do the extra work. I'm going to go on the extra run. And I I certainly experienced a lot of athletes holding on to that kind of just like that self-criticism, that like fear-based motivation, because they really feel like this is what pushes me. And it sounds like... 
perhaps to some extent it really did. I mean, you you became very, very successful. It hit the most elite level, like even before you realized some of these mindset things. So I'm curious if you could expand upon like how you came to that shift of like, oh, actually this, this system that I thought was working for me is actually holding me back. And this other way might open doors because we try to explain that to athletes so often, but it's, it's a hard thing to accept when you're like, no, I motivated myself this way for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And you see in so many high level athletes, like the way, the reason they are where they are, these, cause they are like, I'm not going to be complacent. That's not good enough. I'm going to keep better. I'm going to keep improving. And it has done a lot of good for them in their career. And it did a lot of good for me in my career. It pushed me to get a scholarship. I never was like, Oh, cool. I'm so good in high school. Let me just like chill. I was like, no, I got to get better. I got to do this. I have to have this skill. Like I have to improve, improve, improve. And that is what make, actually made me come back to volleyball every day. Cause I was like, you never, you're never good enough. Like there's always something to get better at. And like, it's so exciting. Um, but what I learned is that like, and I even have in my like phone notepad from like 2015 is like, that and perfectionism perfectionism is like a double-edged sword like it pushed me to get that far but it also kills me like it never lets me celebrate a win it never lets me you know see the progress that I've made it's never let me um just be good enough and I realized like I don't during that time I realized and I said to myself I was like okay I want to read a new story because I see limiting beliefs as like a story that we read Mm. like everyone over and over every day like I pick up the same book I'm not good enough I'm not good enough and you like reiterate this and so the book that I wanted to pick up was like I am enough as I am now yes I can get better but I'm enough now and that allowed me to own the court like I'm able to own the court and stand strong like I am enough like Yes, I can get better. Yes, there's more potential, but I'm okay as I am. And I have everything I need to just like own this space and stand tall. Um, Because I feel like I didn't, I wasn't allowing myself to be like, you're not good enough to stand tall. You're not good enough yet. Like you're just potential still. But going back to like the double-edged sword, I realized it was just hurting me more than it was allowing me um, to continue improving at that point. I would have like just breakdowns sometimes when I was learning a new skill it would end in tears and that's like at age 22 you know I would get so frustrated that I wasn't learning something on day one of getting introduced to it um and yeah it would just lead me to a roller coaster um because after a game I would make maybe make 22 kills and I would focus on the three errors I would make And I see it in so many athletes that I work with today is that they're so hard on themselves and they only focus on these errors and um, they haven't really been in, they're not really in their corner. You know, I sometimes I call it like the biggest bully, you know, Uh, when things go wrong, that negative self-talk is just like, yeah, you suck. Like you need to get better and just focusing on the bad things. And uh, yeah, so it's all about, for me, the changes of like celebrating those mini victories, acknowledging my process, acknowledging after practice, what went well, instead of thinking like, what went bad? Like, what can I improve the next day? Uh, 
and that's how I was like able to just like shift my focus on just like oh you're not good enough or just that 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 end of the the other edge of that sword yeah yeah oh yeah it was really wonderful hearing you just speak to that I mean because I I really do think that like the athletes who are really committed to that like fear-based motivational system they just they're blind to the cost of it you know but it's like those moments like you described of being aware of your self-talk after the serve when you're like I suck and I'm always I'm always screwed up the serve like wow I would never say that to one of my teammates I would never react like that to someone I cared about you know like why why would I talk to myself like that? I mean that's part of the cost it's also mm-hmm. untrue and right. right and it's also untrue <laughs> yeah and I mean, think like if you're in your teammate's ear saying all these things, do you think they'd have confidence by the end of practice? Absolutely not. And so like, obviously one of my points is helping athletes own their confidence. And how are you supposed to have confidence if you're only focusing on the things that went wrong constantly in your head, just, you know, berating yourself for the mistakes that you've made? Like you said, yes, it's worked in the past to push you forward, but now like, you want to play with confidence and like, you're never going to play with confidence if you're being your biggest bully and um, only focusing on the things that went wrong. Yeah. One yeah. of the, the sides of this too, that, that I find tragic. That's the word that comes to my mind for so many athletes. And I, I think this sounds true of your story as well, Rachel, that like you sounded genuinely excited when you were introduced to volleyball. You actually used the word like, this is exciting, right? I want to see how good I can get at this. And, and how that is kind of the purest form of motivation that we've got. And how somehow we feel like that's not enough. And what we need to do is add this fear piece to somehow reach our potential. And how not only does it do all these things that, that you're talking about, it makes us feel pretty lousy about ourselves. It sells us on these narratives that are false and toxic. It's also completely unnecessary because actually what pushes us to achieve is that interest, is that drive, is that passion for the sport itself. Like, this is fun. I want to learn this. I want to see how good I can get. This is exciting, right? Hearing you talk that way, it's like, yeah, you don't need the fear. The, the fear doesn't add anything, right? And, and obviously not every athlete feels that way about his or her sport. I, I get that. And it can be more complicated. But I think there are so many cases, especially when people come to it like you did, right? You came to it in a totally organic way. It's not like someone forced you to play volleyball and you had to figure out your own motivation. Like you were there because you were curious and you were open and it blossomed. You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if that resonates with you or you see that in some of your athlete peers, but I see that in so many clients I work with. It's like, wait a sec, you love this game, but you've developed this motivational system that makes you scared of it. It makes you terrified of it. It makes you feel terrible about yourself. Like something's like, why, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I went in with that mindset, like, oh, like, I just want to be a sponge. My dad always said, like, be a sponge, try to soak in everything and just learn everything. And I was so excited to learn and how to hit different shots in the court and how to do this better. And that's what brought me back every single day. And then obviously, you know, when, once you mentioned that word potential, like people are like, Oh my God, like you could be so good. And then my fear was like, well, what if I don't reach that potential? You know, like, what if I don't 
what if I don't get there? Like, I, I have to reach it. I have to be good. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm having fun learning and growing, but it's like, I have to be great. So clearly at some point you realize like this wasn't just a phenomenon happening within you, right? Like this is like, wow, a lot of athletes probably grapple with this and, 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 and treat themselves this way and suffer the costs of this kind of fear-based motivational system. So I want right, to, I want to start this business. I want to, I want to start journey strength to really help mentor athletes, not just athletes, but female athletes in particular. And I think probably to, to us, to three of us here, to probably many of our listeners, the answer to this question is obvious, but I think it, it's helpful to ask it anyway and to hear the answer again and again. But why did it feel important to you to focus on female athletes? I think that female athletes carry a heavy load um, just mentally. And I think they hold on to things much longer than male athletes. And maybe that's not scientific based or maybe that's not correct. Um, and I know male athletes have a heavy load, but I wanted to create a space where they could feel seen, heard, understood, not judged, and also just learn the tools where they can navigate situations, not just on the court, but off of the court. Uh, and I wanted them to be able to walk confidently in the direction of their dreams, no matter if it's sports or if it's not, because, you know, self-doubt is big and people can see that and feel that and turn around. But I want to let them know that even the highest level of athletes feel self-doubt, but they choose to continue in anyways. And they choose and learn how to navigate around it. And I wanted to help female athletes to be able to feel these things, see these things and know that they have the strength inside of them to navigate everything that comes their way, because a lot of things are going to come their way. And I want them to know because I felt like the power that I found within, I want them to have that same power. And I don't want them to be some, the only one standing in their way because we can easily be the ones standing in our ways. Um, and so that's why I dove deeper and started this journey of like confident and capable and journey strength in this mentorship program. Yeah, can, you, can you talk a little bit about the program itself? I'm really curious to learn about you know, what, what it looks like and, and what it is that you offer. I, I've got to imagine that for, for athletes out there who participate in it, it's got to be so powerful that someone of your stature put this into place, right? You, mm -hmm. You're someone who obviously has, has walked the walk, has been there. Um, that, that's got to carry a lot of weight, I would imagine. Yeah. So I try to think of everything from the bottom up, from like the experience to when they hit the website to where they kind of, you know, fill out the application. I want it to feel like warm and welcoming. So if you see my website, it's like oranges and just like inviting photos of myself um, with a smile. And I want it to feel kind of like a safe space and, you know, a place where you can connect, be feel seen and understood. Um, and it's called Confident and Capable. And it's three a three-month mentorship program. Uh, and we meet bi-weekly. Um, the first meeting is 90 minutes. Uh, and that's the session that we set goals. But I think it's so important to know where you want to go. And I want them to be able to continually move with action. Like obviously within everything, we touch on mindset and self-discovery. 
but I want them to set like three to four powerful goals. And then each session we set actions within those goals. And, you know, what I found within my athletes is they have some volleyball goals, but they also realize some fears and other things that they're dodging, like entering uh, the recruiting process or wanting to get better at setting boundaries with friends and being able, not just friends, but being able to rely on themselves, like for validation, for like their like intuition and just like be able to trust themselves. Cause I feel like that sort of thing, like once you know yourself and your values, that also pours in to the court life to just be able to stand up in those situations and uh, be able to navigate that and know like, okay, even if I fail, like I'm going to be okay. Or even uh, if this happens, I'm going to be okay. And I think it's so important for athletes also to learn their other passions because sometimes when they only think about volleyball, it consumes them. And I want them to know that their value is in so many other places. Um, and so for athletes to kind of realize that it's so important. So not only do we, you know, have mindset within everything, it's a lot of self-discovery. So journal prompts that they have them do, um, and it's tailored practices to them. So for example, uh, a new athlete that I'm working with, she's never journaled and she's never, um, you know, had anything done with meditation and, but she has done therapy, but I reminded her like therapy is kind of, you know, looking at the past and reflecting on kind of what has been, what you have feeling. And, but this is like, we want to work towards like the future, like what's going on now and how can we take inspired action and inspired movement and apply things during practice and, you know, create like game day routines, rituals, and find like what works for you. And just like through getting to know themselves, they're able to just feel like more empowered and apply everything like on and off the court. Yeah, I just, the, the the holistic perspective just comes through so like so clearly, which is I mean, uh, really speaking our language too. I mean, we we really emphasize this in MSPE. We certainly kind of frame our whole program as like not just about sports. Like that might be why we're here talking but this is about how you live your life, your way of being in the world, which of course includes how you are as an athlete, but that is only one part of you. And, and, and to really help emphasize that like there's this, <laughs> this whole life beyond sports, this whole life outside of sports that we need to attend to too, if we want sport to be enjoyable and if we wanna perform well. Um, so yeah, I just, I really, I really appreciate that. And the detail, like I, I was looking at your website before and like, just like you were saying, I mean, just big smiles and warm color. <laughs> you know, when I imagine like, oh yeah, if I'm going to go to a website, that's about like, you know, building me up as an athlete. It's like, we're going to turn you into steel and we're going to make you aggressive. And, you know, it's like, no, like <laughs> this is about kind of the opposite of that. And, and, and recognizing the importance of emotional safety and, and I, even going back a little bit to our conversation about why female athletes, you know, I, I can't help but think about um, that, you know, the, over the past couple of years in the news, like the U.S. women's national team for soccer, you know, and their disputes about pay and, and, you know, all the abuse that was coming up in the U.S. women's gymnastics team, like, yes, male athletes have a tremendous load on them as well, but they don't deal with that stuff. You know, at least not to the extent that female athletes are. I mean, because again, recognizing the holistic approach, like 
the, the kind of oppression that women face in these other aspects of their identity, of course they're gonna find their way into sport because it affects their confidence as a human being. Um, and so, yeah, to, to kind of like in this, this really holistic and like very ground up detailed way to create this space that's gonna allow them to kind of escape that a little bit and build themselves up to be more resilient. And uh, just, it's, yeah, uh, such important work. It, it sounds like too, and I know I, I sort of caught myself earlier in the conversation being like, well, I don't want to assume it's just young athletes, but it does sound like from what you're saying, kind of a key group that you're, that you're mentoring are like in around the high school age, right? You talked about recruiting. It, it feels like that's such a critical age to be doing this kind of work. You know, I, I, I have found that around that time is so tumultuous and, and just the whole recruiting process, we could do a whole podcast on that like what that does to people what that process is like um but i i think too just just that i i don't know and and maybe you can correct this assumption if it does tend to be more in that sort of late adolescent age group that you're working with a lot just how critical that time is to be providing this sort of guidance yeah absolutely and i went back and forth when i was designing this program i was like okay what age group what age group and since I did do round one, I was like, okay, I'm going to put it out there and see what it attracts and see what kind of, yeah, what it attracts basically. And it's really crazy. I had a lot of parents be like, my daughter needs this. So for the high school, it was like the mother's reaching out to me. And this round, as I launched in January, it's a lot of like 21 and up athletes reaching out for themselves. So I it is like, like a variety of like high school, college, and, you know, a little bit of pro, but yeah, it's really crazy. But I think the high school years are so pivotal, pivotal. And I really wish I had this when I was in high school. Cause you know, I was talking to other athletes and like, I wish I had this. Cause like, you know, we can't talk to our coaches before a game be like, you know, coach, my confidence is a little down and I, I'm feeling a little fear you know, like you want to tell your coach this and then your parents can, you know, give you a pep talk as much as they can, you know, they're in their athlete parent lingo. And you're like, okay, mom, yeah, <laughs> play hard, you know? Uh, and so you you just, listeners can't see the, the awesome eye roll that you just did as, yeah. as a teenager. I roll, teenage Rachel. Like getting off the water and my mom being like, that was such a good race. I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about, mom. You know, <laughs> Yeah. Driving home for volleyball tournaments, like, mom, don't say anything. I don't want to hear it. Like, I don't want your feedback. Just like, you know what you're talking about. And you just want a space where you can just be like, am I normal? Like, does anyone else see, see this? Like, this is what I'm feeling. You know, just have a space to share and not be judged. And I always say like, hey, this is a judgment free zone. Like, I'm not here to judge. I'm here to listen help and guide. And I want you to feel comfortable and seen. So this is a safe space. Well, it sounds terrific. Um, but we do unfortunately have to have to bring, bring this in a little bit, but I, I imagine some folks who are listening would love to get some more information about journey strength and about you as well. So, um, you know, can you, do you mind um, mentioning the URL of your website or any other resources that, that you have that, that people can go and find? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at, with an at journey strength, just spelled out two words, but together journey and strength. And then my website is 
journeystrength.com. And then you can also find me on my personal Instagram at Rachel Adams. And it's R-A-C-H-A-E-L, but I'm sure it will be in the show notes. And you can come say hi. Let me know that you listen to this. Let me know it resonated with you. And I, my DMs are always open. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, and for folks who want to connect with us, with Tim and I, with the MSP Institute, uh, we also have a website, www.mindfulsportperformance.org. Uh, we also have a Facebook page that goes with uh, our institute. For our podcast, we have an Instagram and the handle there is at mindful underscore sport underscore podcast. We also have a YouTube channel where we like to post our exercises that start each episode. So with Rachel's blessing, we'll include her breathing exercise from this morning. She did a great job with, we put her on the spot and she rose, <laughs> rose to the occasion. Um, and that YouTube channel is a wonderful free library. If uh, you are interested in getting lots of different examples of exercises that, that you can use. Um, I am on Twitter, at least for now. Um, my handle is at mindful sport doc. Uh, Dr. Keith Kaufman. And so you're welcome to uh, connect with me on there. Uh, also, uh, our book is still out there, Mindful Sport Performance Enhancement, Mental Training for Athletes and Coaches. And we are always very appreciative and welcome reviews, ratings for our book, as well as for our podcast, if you like what you read and what you hear. Uh, and just a quick thank you as well to our support, to our colleague, Dr. Carol Glass, uh, for everything she does for us and, and for the podcast, and our wonderful producer, Taylor Brown, uh, for everything that he does. Uh, so thank you to everyone who listened. Thank you so much, Rachel, for joining us and talking about your wonderful work and your, your wonderful career. It's, it's been a real pleasure to get to know you a little bit today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. And thank you to all the listeners for listening. <laughs> <laughs>